Here we go. Holla at your boy. Uh, I like it like that. She's working that back. I don't know how to act. Slow motion, slow motion for, me. for me. Slow, slow motion, motion for me. Slow it down. Was... Slow motion. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. But you know, I just thought of, I was trying to remember what I did this weekend. And I went to a bachelor party. Really? I went to a bachelor party this weekend. Yeah. How was it? It was, it was so awesome, dude. It was so awesome. Really? It yeah. wasn't a traditional bachelor party. In right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, I'll, because I kind of feel like I should dive into this. First, I'm back. Okay. There we go. Juice, I was just telling uh, Father Connor that I went to my first bachelor party this weekend. Dude, nice. I could actually hear her for a while. I just couldn't talk. I had to move my... My mom was at work, but she brought groceries home, so I had to move from my spot. Now I'm in my parents' basement podcasting. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. dude, me too. Dude, quick summation yeah. of my life: 29 years old, don't really have a job, <laughs> podcasting in my parents' basement. So, how are you guys? I'm I, well, the same, except I'm just 26. Are you really 29, Rob? Yeah, man, turned 29 in April. Man. What? You're old, dude. When did your birthday sneak by us? April the 2nd. April the 2nd. That's my mom's birthday. Holy smokes, dude. That's, dude, 29 is so young. Don't worry. Oh, yeah, no, 29 is the new, like, 17. Man, yesterday was my, my, (laughs) (laughs) yesterday was my uh, priesthood anniversary, two years. Dang it, dude, yeah. I meant to text you. I saw that. Yeah, congratulations, Father. Thanks. Uh, the problem was it's also the dog's birthday. So I was kind of overshadowed yesterday here in the <laughs> yeah. house. No, oh, like, yeah. So. Rightfully okay. so. Well, I mean, it's a dog's birthday, dude. What are you, what what you going to do? That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. <laughs> huge deal. All right, so you, you went to this bachelor party. Yeah, and it um, so my it was my younger brother's bachelor party who's getting married in June, and my older brother is the best man, so he organized the whole thing. We went up to a cabin in the woods. There's probably about fifteen of us. Yeah, there was fifteen of us exactly, and a lot of the buddies that were up there were my brother's friends, either from high school and they kind of kept in touch throughout college and various degrees of practicing and not practicing from like seminarian to Dude who, no joke, like went through drug rehab and is now a student at Georgia Tech, like kind of went through the rocks and has emerged and Hmm. is doing really well now. And I don't know if y'all have been to bachelor parties like that or had experiences like when you're back with your secular friends, quote unquote, secular friends, secular Um, friends, secular friends, dude, the worst. (laughs) Teach me your secular ways. Don't yeah. have those anymore. Got rid of them years ago. <laughs> AKA pagans. Get behind me, pagans. So I was just yelling at people the whole weekend and like smacking beers out of people's hands. <laughs> Stop having fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I like established a shrine when we first got there. <laughs> and was sprinkling holy water on everybody. <laughs> if you guys need me, I'll be over here. The shrine you that I made. When like whenever there was like a group <laughs> forming, like a circle, you should have gotten in between them, kneeled down, and started the rosary. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I laid underneath the deck, like in the basement, just outside, and just uh-huh. flagellated myself for the entire <laughs> evening for their sins. Yeah. Yeah. So got very little sleep, but I feel like it was a productive weekend. Probably saved everybody there. I don't mm-hmm. know. Oh, but yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, I hope you enjoy your sins because I'm sure suffering for them. <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> you're doing this to me <laughs> as I'm just whipping myself. So after I woke up from passing out of my blood, um, I man, I cannot tell you how many good conversations I got into. And to be honest, I was a little bit nervous because some of these guys, they're wild, you know, and I, I had the thought of like, you know, you have to discern those things and be prudent. But one, I don't drink. And so 
I feel like that kind of gives me a lot of freedom to be in any situation and be like free of um, free of fear of making like a really bad decision. Not to say I'm like exempt from temptation, but uh, I just felt confident that I would be self possessed the whole weekend. So that was one factor. Um, and then also like I had other siblings up there and I know these guys pretty decently. Um, so I don't know if y'all have had any situations like that where you kind of get into a place where it's like, should I be here? You know, kind of the, when we're talking about the margins, I really felt like this was my community, like where I'm from, this is the margin spiritually speaking. Hmm. Uh, and so it was, it was so insane and maybe it was the alcohol, like people are just very open and part of it is also they're coming of age, so they are developing their own opinions. And I mean, I heard the craziest stories to the best stories, like a friend who's deeply in love with his newly married wife and just some really beautiful stuff. And it was really a fun weekend, but also very edifying. Um, and, you know, everyone had fun, but it was like a relatively responsible um, celebration of my brother getting married. So it was it was an awesome experience, but I don't know if y'all have had any situations like that where it's like, I don't know if I should be here. This is kind of almost scandalous, but not quite. And then it turns into this huge blessing. Yeah, no, I, uh, I remember, well, I do drink, not to excess, but... Um, How dare you, sir? I remember going to some weddings like later on in seminary when some of my friends were getting married, and there was one where uh, by the end of the night I had asked the band there was a live band i asked the band if i could play the drums <clears throat> which i sort of like had taught myself a little bit on my friend's drum set in high school and so i'm just like rocking out to like 80 songs with this band at the end of the night with like the, the hangers on of the that don't want the party to end a couple times like just up late talking to people having great conversations staying up super late and uh i did think to myself you know is this really the place for a seminarian. Uh, now as a priest, I mean, I don't know. I go to wedding receptions, but I don't. I usually dance once to make sure people know that I'm a human being. And it kind of shocks people's senses a little bit. And it's kind of funny to watch. But yeah, you can't. Uh, it, it's a it's a tough line to toe because you don't want to just kind of give. Because people can interpret things in different ways. Like even just seeing a beer in a priest's hands may give somebody implicit permission to go get hammered drunk you know well he, the priest is drinking yeah. but certainly if you drink to excess that's a huge scandal um particularly because pe so many people struggle with that um so you, yeah you just need to be careful so it's a i mean i like your point about sort of being sure of yourself that because of this fact that i don't drink i know i will be self-possessed and you know not saying anything that i don't I won't be proud of in the morning or, or whatever else and that can happen. But yeah, that's a, it's certainly a consideration. Am I supposed to be here? Should I be here? Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. What I was, the, one of the couple topics I was thinking about maybe hashing out today. I mean, I've certainly relate to, um, that, experience i mean all in in all kinds of circumstances i guess not not specifically um that i've been to a number of bachelor parties but they've all been like i guess i never really had that mindset or even like that concern uh going in but i certainly relate to certain scenarios and things in my life but it's interesting. I went to I went into Springfield for the morning mass this morning and I went to confession before um it was just like i had i had let confession go for a little bit too too long like just with wrapping up internship and everything and just the past couple of days it was just like a very felt thing for me of like i need to get to confession and it was very beautiful it was very simple this morning but it was like man you just feel better after it but one of the things i noticed in that was when like the last couple of days I, it's hard to describe but i've just kind of had this sense of like a little bit of weight on me of like just get to a confession get this stuff like gone etc you know don't don't wait a month and a half 
next time, um, all of that. Uh, but I noticed that when that type of thought was weighing on me, like the very little, very ordinary things of life, it was so much easier to be scrupulous in those moments. Like I didn't get the same enjoyment out of the little things that I was. And like, I guess those moments when I've really been me, like when I've really just been free, like very much. Yeah. I think everyone knows those spots, like where you're just able to be you. Um, it's a little bit of shift, but it's just, I've noticed that like, that's when the really little things matter. Like they don't have control over me at all. But things that are just like totally mundane or even sports or things like that, like the the times when that really matters is actually when I've been most myself, like there's nothing weighing on me. Um, so sorry, that was a little scattered. But just when you were talking about like that sense of like, yeah, even even in the mix of kind of being on the margins, just like feeling very confident uh in who you were uh yeah man that's something it's something to be thankful for but that's just something i guess in those moments for me to add to it a little bit that's what i've noticed is like that's when very little encounters matter that's when i'm able to see god in the very little things as you're saying like after confession you were able to enjoy the little things better that's what you mean yeah i mean that's i mean that's kind of a, a a basic of how i feel today like there's a certain lightness after that but more that was just a reflection over like the past couple weeks and and like i said just had this stuff like um it was just this sense of like knowing i needed to get to confession and like just didn't take the time for it um just kind of like put it on the back burner honestly but i noticed that like that's had that scenario come up that you just described like had in that state had I been uh, like invited to a buddy's bachelor party that I thought you know might be a little bit scandalous or something like that, in that state, like a week ago, how I was, it would have been I would have been so worried about that, like just scanning myself, like a definite scrupulosity coming in. But what's interesting is like just the effect of the confession is what I'm banking it on. Is like that same invitation today. I'd be like, "Heck yeah, man! Let's let's do this. Like, let's engage these guys." And like you were saying, just have a just have the freedom to have a very good, edifying time, like in the mix of you know what can be very sticky situations. So, so I don't know if that's clear yet. Yeah, very, very, and it's interesting. Even being there, like over the weekend, it's. It's really interesting to see my brother's buddies come, know what I'm doing, know who I am, and kind of like warm up to me of like, what is this going to be like? Them being very unsure about it, but like exactly what you're saying, having the confidence to be there and be self-assured in the sense that like the Lord is here with me and uh, again, the confidence resting in the Lord and seeing them sense the confidence of like, oh yeah, like this is just a guy here who's very comfortable being here, and then allowing that that confidence that they kind of sense totally opened up tons of doors that they were able to then speak very openly and really actually delve into deeper conversations because I think they they even sense that not confidence, I guess confidence, yeah, confidence in the Lord, not like. Hey, look at this guy, macho man, confident guy walking around, but like self-assured and I think self-possessed is probably the right, the right word for it. So I, even the other guys sensed it and yeah, it it opened up doors to have much, much deeper conversations, but you're totally right. I mean, I can remember going down to another wedding party in New Orleans on Bourbon Street. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I think I may have talked about on the podcast before. I, but I remember this story. I don't know if it was on the podcast or not. Is that where you yeah. met Danielle Center? That's where I met Danielle Center. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. And that was seriously, shout out to Danielle Center, by the way, because she is freaking new. Like, 
numero uno fan. She's up there. Oh, careful. Uh, yeah, careful. That's, 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 a, I mean, nothing careful. against Danielle, but just careful. <laughs> we do have so incredible fans. <laughs> but I was so struck by how confident I was going down to Bourbon Street, being the DD for all my buddies, and like being in, you, you know, like party alley, essentially. People throwing beers all around me, me having to like. <laughs> skirt the line of walking through a dance floor and like not dancing with all these people who are like trying to dance on you <laughs> but never for a second doubting like this is totally where the lord wants me and being yeah. able to move freely throughout that situation and again the same type of thing having incredible conversations only because yeah i think you're totally right like having that strong sense of um absolute enjoyment and absolute absolute confidence in the lord but I don't know. What do you think, Flyer? I'm thinking of a, I don't know if I told you guys this, but when I went to my 10-year high school reunion, I uh, wore I, my clerics. I think I've heard this story. Yeah, but continue. I wore my clerics because I was a deacon. How old are you, by the way? None of your business. 31. Dude, oh, old, so old. You're not even in your 20s anymore, man. Yeah, I know. That's disgusting. I haven't been in my 20s for literal years. Oh, um can you walk like what dude my freaking room phone is <laughs> sorry let me get this really quick hold uh -huh. my thought what all right that? i'm personally glad to have him gone at this point relax i was gonna say um so the 10 year high school reunion i'm a deacon so i go in my clerics kind of twofold one is a witness and the other is like um i don't know it was a, almost like a shortcut for what have you been up to sort of thing and <laughs> it was at a bar downtown i parked at the cathedral for free uh which that also helped having the clerics on flash it to the security guard like hey, i'm totally parking here for a church thing <laughs> not going to a bar for my reunion so i did that and it started, I don't know, it started in the evening after dinner hour. And it was one of those cool Chicago young 20-something bars where the music just gets louder and louder all night long and it gets more and more crowded. And I hadn't been in a bar like that forever. And I, I rarely even went when I was that age, uh, like early 20s, because I just don't... Once college is over, it's like, I don't want to jam myself into a stinky hot place with a bunch of people I don't know and just get drunk. That doesn't sound fun to me, but, um, anyway, I went because it was my reunion and I, my graduating class had like 850 people in it. So it was, it was pretty packed. Uh, we took up this whole section of the bar, That's but you run into a lot of people as my hometown, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Your rinky dink hometown. Shh, take that back. Iliopolis football sucks. Take it back. <laughs> Dude, you crossed the line, man. Yeah, you take that back. Uh, okay, I take state. it back. Yeah. I retract it. How dare you insult Iliopolis <laughs> football? All right, so I'm in there, and it's, uh, you know, going really well. It was kind of funny, like, these interactions I had. I was in an 80s band when I was in high school. It was kind of a joke thing we did for Battle of the Bands, uh, and we played, like, Guns N' Roses and stuff. I played keyboards in it. Well, there was this one guy who played guitar in the band, and sitting around and standing around in a circle with a bunch of guys that I used to know in high school, but not like very close. I mean, clearly I hadn't talked to them since graduation day 10 years ago. And uh, this guy's like, you know, I'm a lawyer now and blah, 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 and talking pretty freely. And then he's uh, it's like, anyway, Danstrom, what do you what have you been up to? And I kind of had a uh, like one of those fleece pullover things on. So like the collar sort of the collar of the fleece, I guess, was color covering the collar of my shirt um from his angle and then he looked and he he was like wait what and he just looks at my <laughs> collar and he goes holy <laughs> you're a priest and i was like well i'm gonna be a priest in like six months or, or whatever so like a lot of those kind of conversations and and similar to what you were saying mike like just things pop you know when, once you're 20 what are you 28 at your high school reunion mm-hmm you know like the time has passed of just being a rebellious teenager and you know, you're kind of thinking about the direction of life. And most people honestly were like, wow, that's really cool. You found something, you know, like the ethos was like, you found something you really believe in and 
you know, I respect your lifestyle choice kind of thing, which I thought that's, you know, at least that has integrity. You know, it's not like you have to respect my lifestyle choice, even though I don't respect yours because yours is religious. You know, it was, it was pretty right. like classically tolerant. Um, but I, I realized like by the end of the night, I was having conversation after conversation and the time was going pretty quickly. And then it was like, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night. And I go downstairs, the basement was in the bathroom was in the basement. And there's like a dude stumbling around with this girl. And he's like kind of making a clumsy pass at her. And then there's like a dude throwing up in the bathroom. And I'm like, hmm. Oh, right. Yeah, this is a bar. And it's like almost midnight. And so I just I just left. Like I didn't feel like I needed to say goodbye. Or anything i just walked back to the cathedral parking lot got my car and and drove home but there's a certain sense of um like you you were using the word self-possession you know uh i do care what people think you know but one of the things is like i i care that people think that i don't care what people think you know what i mean (laughs) um so it wasn't like i was wearing my clerics just because like i'm a totally socially unaware person like that this would create some awkwardness and some surprise and you know uh but i did you know there was part of it is just the the christian witness of it like i'm not ashamed of of this fact you know right um mm-hmm. and i will be a normal person although i'm wearing these clothes that tell you that send all these signals that i'm a weird person and probably don't like to have fun but then you can't square that with the fact that here i am joking around with you and having a good time and talking about things that aren't religion necessarily all the time, you know, it was only, only other people would bring up God. And then I I was happy to talk about it, talk about him and like my experience and stuff like that. But, uh, this brings up another point that I've been thinking about with, cause you get asked constantly and I'm, I'm sure that you did in this little weekend, um, debauchery that you were a part of. Why do you want to be a priest, man? You know? And that the answer to that question has evolved so much over the years for me. And now that I am a priest, you still get asked it all the time. Um, maybe when you're an older priest and you've been a priest for a really long time, people just assume you were born that way. But when you're a younger <laughs> priest, you get it. Like, why would you choose? Because I guess there's an implicit thought like you could have done other things. You know, you're capable of of doing any number of things in life. Why would you choose this thing? Um and people never people never say like why did you get married or why did you become a plumber for some reason this life is particularly strange to people and uh you know i went from we talked about this before going from like the life story thing well this happened and then that happened and then this happened and then that happened and sometimes that story is compelling but then i i moved more towards like telling little stories like once I was in seminary, this happened and, and that really opened my eyes to whatever the reality of God's love and, and my vocation and his call. Um, just to kind of paint the picture, instead of just having it be the chronology of my life story or my autobiography, be, have like answers to the question why, not how, you know. But now I'm more moving towards like an elevator pitch version of the why do you want to be a priest? And the best thing I've come up with is because I want you and every other person, whoever's asking the question, I want every human being to be fully alive, fully joyful, and fully fulfilled. And I believe that being a priest is the way that I can do the most good for that end. You know, some version of that. Because that really, like, my day-to-day when I get up in the morning, the reason I want to be a priest today is not because of something that happened to me in high school or even something that happened to me in seminary that really opened my eyes or some prayer experience or anything like it's because today I want whoever's in front of me to be fully alive, fully joyful and fully fulfilled. And I, as a priest, have the ability to do those things, you know. Um, and when you when you say it like that, I feel like it puts puts the, the person a little bit more. It's not a, I'm not trying to sell you on anything. I'm just saying this is I'm I didn't become a priest for me. I guess that's what maybe is the being in the parish now for a couple of years. It's made it clear that, you, you know, you don't get ordained for yourself. There might be some 
while you're in seminary or before seminary, there might be some like little dreamy visions of what it's going to be like uh, to be in the church, in the parish and, and do all these things, say mass for the first time, hear confessions and absolve sins of people who have been away from God for so long. And it's going to be so moving and, and that's all great. And it's true. Like those experiences do happen, but ultimately you become whatever you become for whoever you become that for, you know, whether you become a, a husband to, you know, take care of your wife or a father to take care of your children or a priest to take care of your people. You know, it's, they are the reason. And when it comes to like your point, Juice, about self, what is it like self-policing and scrupulosity. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you feel outside of that call or like you've, you've made a mistake or, or somehow put yourself out of communion with the God who gives you that identity and that mission and those people to take care of, you, you, I don't know, become a Pharisee very quickly and like, well, I'm doing this right. I'm doing that right. And you get focused on yourself again. Mm -hmm. And that's just the path to perdition. Like, you know, if you can go into the bar, uh, you know, on state street, or if you can go into the cabin during the bachelor party and just like, think about whoever else is there instead of yourself. And like, am I doing the right thing? What are people thinking about the fact that I'm in the seminary and I'm here at this drinking party? Ah. Like who cares ultimately, you know, you will know once you see the dude groping the woman outside the bathroom door and the dude puking in the stall, you'll know it's time to leave, you know, Yeah. Mm -hmm. but it's, uh, it's not about you, you know? When it, it, it totally becomes paralyzing, at least for me, like I want to just kind of charge in, which is a problem (laughs) at some times, but that's, I mean, that's definitely my personality and when I do start like doing the very unsure thing, it's seriously like someone turned off the light internally and I'm just kind of like very meekly stumbling around trying to feel my way through. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when you have that sense of I am called to be here, like the Lord, living the reality that the Lord is with you and desires for you to be there, that's something that blazes a trail for exactly where you need to go and where you need to be. Which True. gives you the freedom to, like you said, focus on the other people. And people yeah. feel that. And I don't think they feel it most days. You know, someone who's looking at them, intensely wanting to know the person in front of them, that's, um, I really do think that's a unique thing. And for, for people to see a, another person looking at them with interest, to let me hear your story. Um, they'll open up, dude. Holy smokes, they will. But even even that that language of like being the person that, that God wants you to be like you know living that reality allows you to blaze a trail. How do you? This is more maybe a philosophical question, but how do you actually know that? Like how you know, what is? It's kind of a question. I don't. Right. I don't even want to get into epistemology or anything like that. But like, what is? knowledge like how do you how do you help someone else know who they are um and i've even noticed this that was actually one of the big reflections that book the end of the affair has really stuck with me mm-hmm. and it's just even the part where the girl's name is sarah in that book correct i think so i can't so, remember yeah I'll okay anyway but the part about her and she has this like this experience of god that she tries over and over after this this experience she had praying for this guy who she thought was dead, that she just knows God is real at that point, and she can't, she tries so hard to run from it, and she can't do it. She, like, she cannot get away uh, from him. And I, I guess, like, it's just this, you know, this like the same language of talking about grace and God's grace, just getting into your bones, like the very level of your your being. Um, but it, it translates to the most like common circumstances. Uh, I, I went turkey hunting a few weekends ago with my dad, and my dad's one of my dad's best friends went with us. And this is this guy's like an uncle to me, a guy I grew up with, and. Uh, we were hunting at a state park in southern Illinois. And uh, so we'd get up like before daylight 
and we would we we went out on the boat in the morning, and then we would park the boat on a bank somewhere, and you know hunt turkeys for for the day. But I think we've talked about this before, like how scary dark woods are when you're walking in. Mm-hmm. And if you want to make them even scarier, be on a John boat on just a completely still dark water, and then walk into dark woods, man. It is <laughs> so freaky. But, like, there was just this feeling, um, you know, I was with, like, my dad and, uh, you know, this guy who's like an uncle to me. And these guys are just men. Like, they know who they are. And them being there certainly took the fear out of me. So it was just a blast. But I thought about that then. of just like, man, these guys know exactly who they are. I mean, certainly my dad, his whole life, kind of like what your point, Connor, it's really good. Like my dad's whole life has been about us, his kids and his wife, um, everything, you know, to the point that, you know, he's got enough kids and enough going on at work and stuff like that. Like he doesn't have time to think about himself, but that was just kind of like, God, a what a gift, man. Oh, I hate is. thinking about myself. It, <laughs> It's awful, but I just I that image like stuck with me. It just we were in this, yeah, yeah, freaky as hell. Like this little <laughs> boat on this dark lake, going in these dark woods, and I was with my dad, you know. And so mm-hmm. it was just it was a blast. Like the whole hunt. Well, and you want to be him blast. when you grow up in in many ways, right? Totally, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I was so that reminds me of what I basically talked about at my <clears throat> Pentecost homily this last Sunday. Mm-hmm. I stole it from, uh, you guys got to check out Father Peter Grover, uh, his homilies. They go back a a number of years so you can find whatever gospel reading it is for the day and listen to it. But he's an awesome storyteller and um, very persuasive speaker. And I I adapted one of his images, which was uh, basically like when I wanted to grow up, I wanted to be Michael Jordan. Mm Mm-hmm. It was the first thing after astronaut that I wanted to be was on the bulls and basically be him, you know, but it was pretty quick that I, that had that dream dashed by realizing like I couldn't even make the sixth grade team, much less, uh, of course then everybody says, Oh, Jordan got cut his freshman year. It's like, yeah, but he's Michael Jordan. Um, and the thing is like, even if Michael Jordan were generous enough to like come and train me personally and show me exactly what he did at that age to become the greatest basketball player to ever live and, you know, teach me how to shoot and pass and dribble and, um, all the fundamentals of the game. He could still never give me like being six, six or, uh, you know, being so clutch, like have ice water in your veins when there's three seconds left and hit the three pointer or whatever to, to end the game or to, to be able to freaking fly like he did. Um, yeah, but with modern technology, there's really no reason to think that we won't be flying within a few years. Right, bionic legs and what have you. But, yeah. Anyway. But so spring legs. So technology may be able to give it to us, but he couldn't he couldn't bestow on me the things that made him great. You know, the things that made him him and why he was special and why everyone wanted to watch him play basketball was because he was just given those things and but he wasn't given them to give away to anybody else. You know, they were just his talents. But then later when I wanted to be a priest, it was basically like switched from I want to be Michael Jordan when I grow up to I want to be Jesus when I grow up. So I want to be able to say this is my body and actually have it become Jesus's body. I want to be able to forgive sins and, Mm. um, you know, do things that Jesus just basically be him, you know, almost as a priest, pretty much literally, you know, and. So the question is, like, can I do that? Can he give me what uh, makes him special? You know, and that comes down to, and that's a question for every Christian, not just priests, because even if you can't say this is my body or I absolve you of your sins, you you still, uh, like, every bit of your suffering is offered up in the priesthood of all believers for the redemption of the world. You know, the, the body of Christ is still suffering, for the remission of sins, you know, like, and, and it's just a question of you being able to be him, you know, and, and receive the Holy Spirit. That's the one command in the, in the gospel this past Sunday from John. He breathes out the same eternal life, which he breathed in at the moment of his resurrection, you know, like he, 
he sucked in this air when eternal life was was restored to his body and that that's the holy spirit which raised him from the dead and it's his life which he breathes out into the church which is the body of christ so this the holy spirit god's own life is breathed in and out of the body of christ from the moment he was conceived here on earth to his when he breathed out his last breath on the cross and then breathed it back in on the sunday of the resurrection and breathed it out onto the apostles and then it came down on them in Pentecost and, and like all of that stuff is available to us, you know, but when I, if I wanted to be Michael Jordan, I couldn't, but I can be Jesus, you know, like I can be enduring great suffering and still think of the, of the needs of other people. I can forgive my persecutors and, and like sublimely absorb the sin of the world and return a blessing instead of an insult and, and all the things that make Jesus himself uh, he gives to us to be, and no, that's good stuff. Yeah, man. I think that's a, and, that's been in my prayer lately. Like, well, then, so give it to me. You know, that's what I want. Well, and it it does like, it definitely does look like something. Even like when it when it is given, well, certainly received by you, but also, um then given i mean it, it looks you know hopefully at the end of our days like we've seen saintly deaths before you think of john paul ii or whatever and you know hopefully i think for each of us like in some ways living our lives uh like in some way um you know an imitation of our own fathers like what they meant to us but even like even you know right now it looks like yeah the freedom to you know, go to a class reunion in a bar or a bachelor party and know exactly who you are and, um, you know, literally be Jesus in that spot. Um, that's really cool. That's incarnational. Totally. Yeah. And that's why I think it's, it's perfect. Like when you talk about imitating Christ who gave us all of these things, like gave himself entirely, then the invitation of love like very practically speaking in our own lives looks like, I mean, Father Connor, your dad is a boss and Rob, your dad's a boss. My dad is a straight up, he's a beast. And all of these we dudes all have are beastly people. Dads. We, we do have beastly, beastly dads. dads, which is a great, insane gift. But you look at like, even just your example that you gave, they have no time to think about themselves because they have been loving. Like they've just been giving away. Hmm. And so practically speaking, that invitation that Christ gives us to be him looks like loving and like sharing that love. And we have these dads that are right in front of us to imitate. Like, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Oh my gosh, man. I mean, it looks like a million different things, all, all towards another, all centered at another person, uh, just constantly giving. And my gosh, man, I mean, at least looking at my own father, like, craziest dude i've ever met one of yeah, i would least. actually second that by the way super super crazy you know but he is the least selfish um one of the most alive people i've ever met before in my life and that's because he lives completely for others he lives completely for for all of us you know and it's so, I mean, if we're going to look at like a practical example of what it looks like to share in the life of God, man, I mean, we have we have awesome, awesome role models there. But I don't know, Rob, to your question, that's a super deep question. Like, what is knowledge? Is that how you asked? <laughs> You're talking much, about bachelor yeah. parties, dude. In the, yeah. <laughs> but, like, uh, well, anyway, maybe that's, I know you got to go, Mess. Maybe that's a question for <clears throat> another day. But it, it does come into that of... um. Yeah, it was a grace, honestly, of reading the end of the affair book. And I honestly, like, frankly, I relate to it in my life of, like, there's certainly moments in the day when the temptation is to not be a Christian, you know, to go away from, from Christ. And I've found more and more, yeah, like, whatever happens, um... And it's just it's just a grace, but this is kind of one of the biggest graces since my thirty day. Like I just I can't. I mean, I, I certainly sin. I'm not saying that, but I can't get away from him. Like I can't. Yeah. I can't not believe in God. 
And yeah. honestly, there's moments that I want to, but I can't do it. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know how to, that's kind of like what's been going on in my prayer lately, by the way. Um, but it, it's just like, okay, what does that mean to, to know that? Um, so anyway. Dude, yeah. it, well, it, I just, I bring it back up because at least for me, that's been like the spot on question is... Yeah. Because it points to like some of the deepest realities of in my own life of my experience with God is like, how do you know what his will is? And if sure. we're talking about God as being some giant dude in the sky who like yells words down and we hear them audibly with our ears, like that's, I'm, that's my conception of it still probably intellectually and imaginatively. Like, you know, that's kind of what's been ingrained within me, but my own experience of it points to the fact that like, no, this is a God who's with me in the boat. And when I get out and walk into the woods, he's like a person here with me that dispels my fear because I, I'm really not alone. And there's an actual relationship with a real person who is, is telling me these things, you know? And again, not telling me these things like audibly out loud. I mean, we all know that, but Unless you know the guy, like unless you know his spirit, his love, then yeah, I mean, it does seem like impossible. What does this sound like? You know, yeah. just talk, talk to him. He's, it points to the fact that one, he's inside of you, like truly alive and living. And two, he's relational right there with you, you know? Um, and it's, it always points to the necessity in my own life of prayer. Like if I'm sure. not praying, I don't know who my guy is. I don't know who what I'm doing. I don't know who I am. And so if I'm going to live freely, like live with that confidence that I so so much desire, live with the happiness to enjoy the little things, and like if I want to reach out and love other people, I have to be with my guy or I don't know who yeah. I am, you know? So it's very debilitating yeah. if if I don't pray. Well, it's just, well, yeah, I mean, def definitely. And it's just interesting. And I guess maybe, you know, for me too, so many, like, of my early years of conversion, um, what I called prayer was just trying to talk myself in or to convince myself of that fact. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, like, he really was there. I mean, like, the reality is deeper than the words. Um so there is a sense in the spiritual life when that happens of like, oh, crap, like this is all real, you know, and uh, like what what do I do now? You know, it's like this, you know, obviously, in the importance of spiritual direction and continuing to pray and stuff. But I, I don't know. And it's just one of those things that I constantly over overlook. But I've noticed like just in my examines of like busy days when I was on internship or whatever, um, just the, just the grace and it being able to like sit back, do five minutes of prayer sometime like middle of the day, take a deep breath and, and just literally call to mind that, I mean, the resurrection is real. Um, and like the difference that could make in a day for me, mm. you know, um, like I'm not. I'm not training to be a, a social worker. I'm not training to be whatever. I'm training to be a priest. And like that reality has to be there. And I, I, I don't know, like I don't have words on where I'm going or where my prayer's going right now. But it's just that, it's just that sense of, I mean, literally just calling to mind sometimes that, that it's real. Um, that Jesus is real, that the church is real, the Holy Spirit is real, the resurrection is real. Um, and it's not something... I'm not trying to talk people into it anymore because I'm not trying to talk myself into it. Hmm. Um, yeah. And, and that's like that's what real evangelization is, I feel like. Anyway, I don't know how else to say it, honestly. Well, can I wrap up with an epic story that I heard this weekend? Absolutely. Please. It was it, it was such a beautiful story when I heard it that I was almost moved to tears. <laughs> it was by a guy who was pretty gong showed, you know. He was <laughs> like ten beers deep. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, part of it's babbling. 
So, but this guy, he was at our high school for a little while, and I actually asked him, like, can I tell this story? Because it's insane. Um, and he, he started cruising with a rough crowd. And our high school is much more, I mean, it's like very openly Christian, very openly Catholic practice. A lot of parents are very involved. So it's, um, when you have a kid who's like starting to go astray, it's very, very obvious. So he starts hanging out with the rougher crowd, ends up leaving the school. He got kicked out for a little while and, um, it just kind of got worse and worse and worse. And so he got into drugs and was like, you know, dealing with opiates and like pretty hard stuff, not, not playing around and was arrested a couple of times, was sent to a rehab facility that was terrible, got out, was arrested again and sent to a community called Chinocula, which is a, just a drug rehab community. I don't know Did if y'all ever heard of them. Chocula? Count Chocula. That's the name of the community. Yeah. <laughs> no, you've talked about this place before. <laughs> yeah. Chinocula. Yeah. I think I have talked about it. But he's a pretty big guy, and so they sent him into the woods with an axe and would make him chop down trees all day. No joke. He was just out with like a crew of people, and they would chop down trees all day. And at one point, he was sick of it, and he kind of like rallied some other guys, and um, they escaped from this place. So they went off, took, out, took off uh, down to Florida, and we're trying to just basically get on the run. And oh, they're they're making it their way back up to Atlanta because they were in like South Florida. So they're making their way back up. They dine and dash at a Denny's. They are catching rides. Like they slept in a swamp one night. And this kid's parents are, I mean, his dad is a you know a, a Christian. His mother's a very very devout Catholic. And so I'm sure it was just like the death of this of this family to have this kid going through, through what he's going through, um, struggling with addiction and kind of cruising with this rough crowd. So he's cruising back up to Atlanta with this rough gang and they decide, he tells me that they decide that they're about to rob a liquor store. (laughs) They're about to rob a liquor store. So this is what we're talking about. The guy's been arrested multiple times for hard things and is, and he said like, at this point, I seriously didn't care if someone came and just blew my head off. That's what he told me. Like, I I seriously wouldn't have cared. So that's kind of where he is in life. He has no motivation to get better. And no joke, 40 feet away from the liquor store as they're about to come in. um, He said his dad pulls up in the middle of like Jacksonville, Florida, who his dad lives in Atlanta. And he had heard that he escaped and he like had these guys that were going with him and just drove down to Florida. Florida is huge. Florida is huge. Florida is fairly big. Yes. It's it's a long state. I mean, there's a lot of places where you could drive. And That's definitely this, like in 20 questions, would you you'd say, is it bigger than a bread box? Yeah. Is it smaller than Florida? Yeah. Right. Oh, totally. That would so be the first thing. You're also saying there's more than one road in Florida. <laughs> there are multiple roads in Florida. Okay. okay. And Continue. so far as I understand it, there's at least two cities in Florida. Maybe more. Nobody knows. (laughs) They're weird down there. Scholars disagree. The Gators are from... Okay, so he finds his son 40 feet from the liquor store, and he yells at him, and he's like, hey, and my my buddy turns around, and he's like, no way. In the middle of this podunk town in Florida, my dad is about... He just found me 40 feet from robbing a liquor store. And so his dad is just like you know, bawling his eyes out. And he's like, just come over here and please talk to me. Just, just talk to me. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. And so they come over and he's talking for a little while. And his father had gone through some, some health issues as well. And he's just like, he's crying. And he's like, dude, please, if nothing else, like if you can't do this, if you can't go back to this place for you, do it for me because I'm your dad and you're my son. And that's all I'm asking you to do is like, just be my son because that's who you are. And the guy didn't realize this when he was telling me it, but I mean, he ends up totally agreeing to it. His dad takes him back to the community and he's there for 13 months and he's been totally clean for the past six years or something like that. Wow. And I'm listening to this story thinking like, this is a, a story about someone who has nothing, who had everything stripped from him, is a drug addict about to rob a liquor store. And his father finds him 
And the only thing that saves him is his dad speaking his identity to him. <laughs> like this is the the most beautiful story I have ever heard and kind of encapsulates the Christian experience to, to a T. His yeah. dad finds him, tells him, you are my son. And it's the only thing that convinces him to go back to this community and has been drug free ever since. And I was asking, I asked him, why did you do it? And he said, because my father found me and asked me to do it for him. Wow, and I'm his dude. son. Holy crap. Dude, this guy is ridiculous. He's 12 beers deep at this point. I mean, it's like <laughs> slurring his words. And the only and thing. He's like, this is why I'm in such good shape today. This is my dad found me. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, I guess it's better than shooting opiates in yep. like a McDonald's parking no lot. So, I mean, it's true. I, it was absolutely incredible. And I. I mean, I kind of alluded to it. I, I took a step back and said, like, do you realize how incredible that story is? You just told me. You just stumbled through. And um, I, it was incredibly beautiful. So we got to share in the goodness of that story for a little while. That was one of my favorite conversations we had. Um, but I was just so struck by it. I mean, it's it's so profoundly beautiful. Yeah, and really tells the story of salvation history to a T. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's like doesn't any get good much story. clearer than that. Yeah. Any good story does that. It somehow mirrors the whole yeah. arc of history. That's good stuff, and also reminds us that all alcohol is sinful. Yep. Amen. That's the moral of this story. Uh-huh. And now, for you listeners, here are your discussion questions for next week. <laughs> <laughs> Sinners. <laughs> all right, bro, dudes. Good, good stuff. Talk. Okay, I'm going to, yeah, got to get going. Thanks, Danielle, guys. Danielle Center literally tweeted at me while <clears throat> we were podcasting, <laughs> like, where's the podcast? Oh, really? Dude, you got a shout-out today. Mm-hmm. Danielle. Get this up ASAP. Are you ready? Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Down.